Hey, what's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? It is Friday, June 23rd, 2023. And as always, it's the Pody back with another episode of This Week in Sports. Okay, so once again, I've got to apologize. No episode last week. That should have been episode 210. This should have been episode 211. I don't know if I've done two episodes in a row for quite some time now, but um, it's been crazy time of year. It was last I left off with you guys. I was going to play golf on my dad's birthday, and I told you I was going to beat him, and I did. I beat him by one shot. I wasn't really proud of that. I didn't play really all that great, and I choked on the 18th hole. We both really choked on the 18th hole. He should have beat me on that last 18th hole, but it is what it is. I still beat him, and he was not very happy. And then we played again last uh, on Friday. Oh, wait, Friday's actually – yeah, I played on Friday. Um, so I didn't have that episode as well. So I beat him on his birthday, and then on Friday we played. That's why I really didn't – do the episode, got caught in a friggin' rainstorm on the course for like 45 minutes. Um, and after the rainstorm dissipated, we were on the seventh hole. We had eight and nine after the rainstorm and then the turn. He was beating me by two shots. After the rainstorm, everything cleared up. We went to the back nine and it was a whole new ball game. I had four pars in a row and then I missed a hole in one on a par three by, I don't know, two feet, two and a half feet. It was a tap and birdie. So I had four pars and a birdie all in a row, probably the best stretch I've ever had. I choked on 17 and 18, could have shot under a 40 easily. Um, I triple bogeyed 17, and then I three-putted for bogey on 18. I had been putting pretty well throughout the round. And 18, it just seemed really fast. My first putt, I shot completely past the hole, and then I left my comebacker. I'm a little uphill putt just short, and I three-putted for bogey. Could have added another par to that round. So I finished with a 41, but I beat him by four strokes. And then um, we played on Father's Day as well with my two brothers. And, and, of course, I hadn't played in a few years. Very tough course, a lot of sand, and the sand was not in good shape. And uh, he beat me by four shots, which I didn't play that great, but it was it was hard to play well when my brother shot about a 130 and played some of the worst golf I've ever seen him play. Not that he's any good by any stretch, but he's been playing a lot more over the years and can at least, for the most part, I like to think he could shoot 100, under 100. He always claims when he plays with his coworkers that he does well, but anytime I see him play, he's terrible. He beat me once, though, one time in which I was horrible. Um and I'll never lift that down because I never should lose to him. But so I've been playing better golf of late. Not going to play this weekend. The weather's just, the forecast looks terrible. So anyway, enough about me. That's why I've been busy the last, you know, week or so playing some golf, holidays, birthdays, etc. So with that being said, let's finally jump in and get this thing kicked off with last night's NBA draft. Actually, the music to cue off the show is this. Yeah! 
episode 210, and we're going to start with last night's NBA draft, and I will admit it was boring. I played Call of Duty throughout. I relied on notifications to let me know who was being drafted. I, I just didn't seem to care. My Brooklyn Nets drafted 22nd and 23rd. I was waiting to see if they were going to use those picks, or one of them at least, to try to trade up. There were no trades in this draft. Like, no teams traded. Nobody traded up. I don't think nobody traded picks um, last night. It was just very weird. A lot of the trades happened already, like, with current NBA players beforehand. And we all knew who was going number one. It was, you know, France's own Victor Wembanyama. Um, So there was really no surprise there. And... So, you know, he goes number one. They're claiming he's a generational talent, going to be better than, you know, LeBron James and all. Hold on a second. I'm no LeBron fan, but let's be real. LeBron is is still LeBron. Nobody is going to live up to that hype. And the guy is 7'4". I know he's a skinny thing, kind of reminds people of Giannis, but, like, he's going to get bullied around by, like, the Jokic's and guys like that immediately. And... We've seen guys this big before. You know, you've seen a Yao Ming type. These guys, you've seen Greg Oden. These guys, and Greg Oden wasn't even that that big, but these tall guys, their knees give out. They don't have a high or a long shelf life. So let's hold the horses. I know he's got handles like a point guard, and he could shoot like a shooting guard, and he's built like, you know, he's tall like a center. Will he be great with the Spurs? Probably, but I'm not putting him on the level of LeBron of a LeBron James just yet. No way, no how. Um, at number two, the Charlotte Hornets went with Brandon Miller from Alabama. He's a stud. I'm very high on him. Everything that he went through at Alabama with the allegations when he handed over the gun to his teammates that helped, you know, his teammate and his friend that killed that poor woman and all that stuff. And then immediately he comes out against South Carolina and drops 41 when they're saying lock him up and all that stuff. He's got stones of steel. Um, so I, I, I really am high on him. And um, at number three, Scoot Henderson went from the G League. Um, interesting, though, at number two with Charlotte, Shams tweeted out that before the draft that, oh, Charlotte might be leaning towards Scoot Henderson now. And FanDuel, the odds went crazy, and people started betting Scoot Henderson because of that information at number two. Well, it turns out that Shams also does promos and, like, works for FanDuel in a sense. So people were like, is this legal? Did he just do this on purpose, steer people towards betting on Scoot Henderson at number two so FanDuel can make a whole bunch of money? Like, isn't this illegal? But I read the tweet, and I didn't think he was by any means steering people. Like, if you bet on the NBA draft and you bet Scoot Henderson to go number two, that's pretty stupid. I I mean, I've known Brandon Miller was going to go number two. It's just, I don't know. Maybe I, I wasn't reading into any of the hype beforehand or whatnot, but Last I had heard, Brandon Miller was going number two. So, sorry if you bet Scoot Henderson there at three. Um, The cool thing was there was some history made in this draft. We had a couple of twins that not many people know about. I had read an article months ago about these twins, the uh, Auser and Eamon Thompson, the Thompson twins. They went back-to-back fourth and fifth. It is 
the first time in NBA history that brothers were drafted in the top five. The closest we ever got, I believe, was Markeith and Marcus Morris, who were drafted 13th and 14th back in 2011. So it's it's crazy to, to see brothers go back-to-back, let alone twins going back-to-back in the top five. And then um, he wasn't drafted, but Obi Toppin's brother, Jake, Jacob Toppin, I believe, uh, he was at Kentucky. Um, I'm surprised, you know, there was some hype with him too um, when he transferred out of Rhode Island to go to Kentucky, and he became a good starting player there. He went undrafted, but he signed on with the Knicks, which obviously there's a connection there because his brother Obi Toppin plays for the Knicks. Um, Before I forget, you also had, let's see, um, Four of the five of the top five picks did not play in college. Of course, Wemby is from France, while Scoot Henderson was part of the G League Ignite, and the Thompson Twins played for Overtime Elite. And I think this is something we are going to start to see a lot more of throughout the next bunch of years. Yes, I know there's NIL, but a lot of these guys are going to the G League where they can make money immediately and get that exposure. We've seen a lot of guys from the G League get drafted in in those lottery picks and those top five picks um, over the last bunch of years. Um, Wembenaya had a teammate on his France international team, actually, that was also drafted in the lottery. I believe that's the first time that's ever happened. Um, Wembenyama and Bilal Koulibaly, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he went at number seven. They're the first pair of teammates from the same international club to be picked in the lottery of the same draft. They played on the Metropolitan's 92, I guess. Um so that's kind of cool. Um, some a couple of guys that went undrafted, which I was a little bit surprised about. Um, you had Adamo Sonogo, um, from obviously national champion uh, UConn team, which you know very surprising that he went undrafted. Emily Bates, former number one overall high school player, you know, transferred to Eastern Michigan. He went 49th. I believe, in the second round. Um, Some good players, you know, did not get drafted. I mentioned, you know, Jacob Toppin agreeing to a two-way deal with the Knicks. You also had, um, I said, Sonogo. His deal was with the uh, Chicago Bulls. Um, Also, um, oh, God, was it Norwell? The kid, the, the the small guard from um, Kansas State, he was not drafted. He he signed on um, a two way deal. I'm not. I don't remember which team. Let me see if I could pick it up. Um, I forgot his first name. Damn it. Um, shoot. Let me let me give me a sec. Oh shoot. Oh, doing this on the fly. Bear with me. Let's see. Marquise Norwell, that's it. Okay. And, of course, he spells his name weird. Hold on. This would just be a lot easier to plug into Google. Marquise Norwell signed with... Let's see. Uh, Come on. 
Uh, he signed with Toronto. That's right. Oh, and if anybody's wondering, the talk of the town was Grady Dick and that fruit roll-up outfit that he had on, that, that suit with the sequins and the turtleneck underneath that matched. I mean, somebody joked that he looked like somebody that just lost, like, R&B uh, Song of the Year at the 1991 Grammys or something. It was just a wild outfit. And I'm, I'm a little surprised that he was drafted as high as he was, I think going number 13 to the Raptors. I know he led he led the um, all of Division One last year with 50. Uh, he was 54%, I believe, on catch-and-shoot threes or off-the-dribble threes. I forget what one of those stats there. So uh, uh, maybe he could be a 3-and-D guy, kind of a nice little piece um, like that kid from the Denver Nuggets who gave them some lift um, also from Kansas. Helped them win an NBA title as a rookie. Um, all right, so let's get to – that was the draft. I'm not going to read, you know, all the, the picks or anything like that. Let's get to – some of the trades leading up to this draft because yesterday afternoon as I'm driving home, the Suns, excuse me, the Wizards. So Chris Paul had been traded for Bradley Beal, right? Well, we all knew Chris Paul was not going to play for the Wizards. Well, they turned around and traded him for Jordan Poole. So now Chris Paul is on the Warriors, which is just weird and insane. Um, so now the Wizards get the Wizards are reloading, complete rebuild. Jordan Poole's going to be a nice piece. He can do whatever he wants basically now. Um, and by the way, as soon as he was traded to the Wizards, he immediately unfollowed Draymond Green. So I guarantee you, Draymond Green takes a huge toll on everybody that you know, everybody that plays with him, and they're just you know they back him because they're his teammate, and it's the right thing to do. But the second they're they're off that team. It's like peace, dude. We're no longer friends. I hate you, and yeah. So that was a big trade. Um, and this after the Wizards traded Kristaps Porzingis to the Celtics as part of a three-team deal. What's crazy about that trade? And like I was just saying, the Wizards are in complete rebuild mode. Um, so that's why they're unloading all their talent. And Porzingis had a career high average, a career high twenty-three points per game last year. The key is going to be whether he can stay healthy. And I love it. The Celtics, right? They went to the NBA Finals two years ago. They forced a Game 7 after being down three games to none against Miami this year, who, by the way, they went, they faced Miami back-to-back -back years in the Eastern Conference Finals. They're right there, right there, and they decide to kind of blow this thing up, and they're like, oh, we need something better, and they trade the heart and soul of their team in Marcus Smart. He, he dyes his hair green. He's a 3-and-D stud, you know, defensive player of the year guy. Been there the last seven or eight years, I believe eight years, and I, I cannot believe they traded him. And what's crazy about this trade is it was a three-team trade. Originally, there was talks the night before that it was going to be um, or the night even of this trade, I forget, because Porzingis was set to become a free agent, I think, by midnight, something crazy. So it was a three-teamer. They were talking the Wizards, Celtics, and Clippers. And the player from the Celtics that the, uh, the Clippers were going to get was Malcolm Brogdon. But apparently the Clippers went out, and they, were con they had concerns over his medicals or medical history. 
Um, so then that tr- that trade was off. Well, the Wizards and Celtics still wanted to get a deal done. The Celtics still wanted Porzingis. The Wizards still wanted to move him. So out of nowhere, at the 11th hour, they hooked line and sinkered, grabbed the Memphis Grizzlies. They were the third team, and they traded instead of Brogdon, who has only been here a year, who Celtics fans have no investment in, really. They snagged themselves Marcus Smart. So the Grizzlies get Marcus Smart. The Celtics got, um, let me get the full details of this. Wizards got Tyus Jones from the Grizzlies, Danilo Gallinari, and Mike Muscala from the Celtics, along with Boston's 35th pick in yesterday's draft. Um, And then the Celtics got Porzingis, and I guess everybody's happy. Pretty, pretty wild. Wild stuff. Um, We also found out after last night, uh, last night's draft that Lonzo Ball likely will not play again this season in the upcoming 2023-24 season. He missed all of last season, I believe. Hasn't played since January 14th of 2022. That is wild. He's missed out two years. I think it's what, his knee? He can, It's insane. It's insane. And LaMelo Ball himself missed a whole bunch of time last year as well. It's just not good. Oh, and of course, every draft you see this, they have a green room, which is the top guys that they think are going to get drafted. And there's always that one guy that becomes the talk of the town because they just keep sliding and sliding. And everybody tells them you're going to be a top five. You're going to be a top eight, a top 10 pick even. And they just top 10 comes. Number 10, you're not called. 11, 12. All of a sudden, it's 15. Now it's 20. And that was the case last night for Villanova's Cam Whitmore, who was, I believe, viewed as a top five, top eight guy. He slid all the way down to the Rockets at number 20. And I heard it had to do with some last-minute uh, pre-draft maybe workouts, definitely interviews. These kids are are 20 years old, 22 years old. They're just coming out of college. Let's face it. Nobody knows how to interview. They don't know what they're doing. These kids without basketball, I'm just going to flat out say it. They're not They're not smart. They're not highly educated, and that's okay. They're not going into uh, you know, a corporate world where they need to have smarts about them. They don't go to college to learn, you know, accounting or to learn, you know, aerospace engineering. Like they that's not why they go they go to college. They go there for one reason and one reason only to play basketball for one year, essentially, and go to the NBA. So can we, that's ridiculous that we're going to put all this stock in the way he, inter, in the way players interview. I do, I wouldn't, if I was a general manager, I swear to God, we're talking, you know, any of these, these major sports, because we all know the NFL draft, some of these interview questions that some of these players get are wild, wild questions. All I need to know is, are you a good kid? I, which I don't need to, meet you or even talk to you to know that you just look at the history how was this kid ever in trouble in high school you can go back to high school look at his records how many times did he have detention okay what were the reasons he had detention was it just because he didn't do schoolwork and he didn't like school or was he actually getting like you know getting in fights and things of that nature then you look at college you know you could talk to the coach for that even what kind of kid is he okay um talk to his teammates, look at the history. Did he attend class? Did he not? Well, most athletes, I don't care. They don't attend class, whatever. Um, 
Just look at things like that. Do they have a criminal history? If so, why? What happened? Were they misunderstood? That's all. I don't need to talk to the kid. I don't need to hear him speak. He could be, you know, some of these kids sound really stupid. They come from the deep south and they can't speak. It's not a, it's not a big deal. It's really not. I mean, you look at these MLB players, like a lot of them, Glaber Torres, for example, he's a Dominican player. A lot of them just hide behind a translator, but some of them that do speak, they don't sound great, but they speak English. It's not their first language, and I have no problem with that at all. I applaud the effort. So, yeah, I have no problem. Like, what were the, these interview questions are, are ridiculous. I mean, come on. He slid down the draft boards because of his interview, the way he interviewed. I'm... I'm Again, we're not trying to get hired at NASA here, all right? We're, we're talking about playing basketball. And I'm sure for the Rockets, they were ecstatic getting a, a, a top five guy at, all the way at number 20. So big, you know, everybody else's loss is their gain for sure. All right, let's get to the Men's College World Series because it has been electric. Um, throughout the first couple of days, all these games have been competitive. Games being decided by one and two runs. I mean, it's it's been unbelievable. So we're down to the final two teams, finally. Um, number one, you had Wake Forest. They came in as number one. They were pretty much number one, I think, all year. Number two was Florida. Um, LSU at number five. Like, these are, you know, your stud teams, right? And I thought nobody was going to beat Wake Forest at this point because they were just that dominant. But LSU has the best player in Dylan Cruz. Um, they have one of the best pitchers in Paul Skeens. And they lost the first game in a best-of-three series to, to Wake Forest. So it set up a huge pitching duel between Paul Skeens, who is viewed as the number two prospect, I believe, in this, in this upcoming July's draft behind his teammate Dylan Cruz, and Rhett Louder, who is looked at upon as the number seven pick um, in in the draft for Wake Forest. Well, these two delivered. So LSU won the first game. Uh, excuse me, Wake Forest won the first game. LSU had to win the second game. They did hold on. They won that second game, and they set up this third game, which was a a decided matchup between Skeens and Louder, two top ten picks. Electric, right? Well, this game did not disappoint. These two combined to throw fifth. 15 shutout innings and LSU won two to nothing in extras with this walk-off bomb. walks it off and the LSU Tigers will face the Gators in the finals okay um yeah it was just an unbelievable unbelievable game it you know it could have gone either way LSU just got you know got lucky there they were the home team for that for that third game. Um, and so now with the win, yes, they will face, uh, they will face Florida in the finals. And here's what's interesting. So this is a rematch actually of the 2017 men's college world series final, which Florida won. I, 
let's jump on DraftKings for a second here because I, you know, these are not the same players or anything like that, but I know LSU, this is all they're going to be talking about. The coach is going to be bringing it up, the players, the fans, everybody's going to be bringing this up. We lost to Florida in the finals, you know, in 2017. We've got to avenge that loss and we've got to win, right? So can we do team futures? Yeah, winner, uh, okay, so it's minus 110 apiece. So if you think LSU is going to avenge that, um, LSU's minus 110, Florida's minus 120 for tomorrow's game. So we could have a we could be crowning a champion by Sunday if we have a sweep here in the in the best of three you know series. Uh, I'm looking forward to it for sure. I will be tuning in tomorrow because again the weather's not supposed to be great, so I'll be in. I'll be watching TV and I will be watching that game. Um, speaking of LSU, before I move on, they were hit hard by the NCAA yesterday they were penalized both the football and basketball programs were penalized and this has huge ramifications okay so let me let me get this straight the football team had to vacate 37 football wins from 2012 to 2015 for um paying players yeah for players receiving uh, money this is all before NIL of course and they also gave um, former Tigers basketball coach Will Wade a two-year penalty. Well, back to the football for a second. This is notable, hugely notable for Les Miles because vacating those 37 wins means he now falls below the 600 winning percentage needed for college football Hall of Fame consideration. Yikes. On the flip side of that, Will Wade is now the coach recently hired at McNeese State. He will serve a 10-game suspension to start the season and faces recruiting restrictions until 2025. Okay, um, got some, got two more things to talk about. Um, two legends undergoing surgery. This is a little bit scary. So let's first start with... Um, Deion Sanders or Coach Prime, the Colorado football coach, will have surgery, actually. He probably had it already. He's supposed to have surgery today to relieve blood clots in his legs. We all know he struggled with blood flow in his legs for some time and had two of his toes amputated back in October of 2021. Earlier in the week, there was talk that he might lose his entire foot. Well, yesterday he said there is no talk of amputation, which earlier, again, yeah, was a, you know, he said it was thought to be a possibility. And he's not the only one that's having to undergo surgery. Longtime broadcaster, the the one, the only Dick Vitale announced yesterday that he will have to undergo two more surgeries this summer to repair his vocal cords. The first one is scheduled for July 11th. It's the latest medical challenge for the 84-year-old. He previously developed precancerous dysplasia on the vocal cords in 2021 and was forced to take an extended break from calling games. So after this, this surgery, he's got to go in, under intense, um, like really rest his vocal cords, no talking, none of that stuff. Um but one of the preeminent doctors in, in this field will be doing the surgery. He's the one that did Michael Kay's vocal cord surgery. I think he's a guy up in Boston. I forgot his name, but I was reading about it earlier today. So prayers up to both of them. Hope everything goes well. 
Okay, let's jump into some MLB talk for a second. Um, the Rays, they've been the best team in baseball all season long. They are a small market team with a even smaller payroll, and they are pretty much heavily analytical-based. Um, their manager, Kevin Cash, made an interesting choice yesterday, and I'm all for it. So they announced, the Rays did, that star shortstop Wander Franco will be benched for at least the next two games. He was benched last night, benched again tonight. According to the Rays, it's because of how he's handled frustrating situations this season. So he missed yesterday's loss against the Royals. He will miss today's uh, game as well against the Royals. Um, and here was what Kevin Cash had to say on the matter. Wander's a really good kid, really good person. Uh, he's a young player that is learning and dealing with the challenges of being a major league player and some of the frustrations that come with it. Uh, over the recent, over this, the course of this season, there's been probably multiple times that the the way he has handled his frustrations have not been the way that we ask our players to uphold being the best teammate. That being said. Um, we're going to continue to support Wander as he works through this. Yes, yeah, so there you have it. Uh, I have no problem with that. And I want to say either earlier this year or maybe once last year, they benched him as well. They didn't like his attitude or during a game they benched him. We've seen this earlier this season with the Tigers uh, benching Javi Baez. He he responded to that and has been playing well since. So we'll see if the 22-year-old can turn it on. Um, it's tough in this day and age. Uh, it's not even just the Dominican players, but a lot of these players we saw, I think this was last night when the Braves beat the Phillies in extra innings. In the 10th inning, Marcelo Zuna, uh, it was a 0-0 game, I believe, and they scored five runs in the 10th inning. Marcelo Zuna capped it off with a home run, and as he's rounding third base, third base coach Ron Washington and Marcelo Zuna, he actually stops rounding third base so they could do a handshake and then he continues on, and Phillies announcers were disgusted by it, and, and I thought I think that's too much. Um, yes, there's a part of baseball, it's this new age flair, and when these guys hit home runs and they stand there and stare, or the bat flips and things of that nature, and there's a time and a place, and sometimes they take it a little bit too far, and with a lot of these players, you know, it's the you know the show, show showmanship and and you used to you see it sometimes with Glaber Torres at second base just so nonchalant it's like oh he's so good but they're just sometimes you're just too nonchalant that you get lackadaisical and that's what's happening maybe he didn't run maybe he thought he had a home run and he doesn't leg it out and he ends up with a single instead of a double or doesn't hustle out a you know a ground ball to short and it turns into a double play and things of that nature so uh he's still just 22 years old they they've got him under control for for many years he's a you know their franchise player so he's not going to go anywhere but um just sending a message which i have no problem with Okay, let's talk about Braxton Garrett. If you don't know who he is, well, you will now. Last night, he became the first left-hander in Marlins history to strike out 13 and walk none as the Marlins beat the Pirates 6-4. to The Pirates 
were in first place not too long ago. I believe they've lost like eight or ten games in a row now, and they have slid to fourth place in the division. And speaking of the Marlins, they are now 43-33, and which is better than every NL team except the Braves and the Diamondbacks. It's absolutely ridiculous. They have a better record than the Yankees, the Mets, you name it, these teams with the top payrolls in baseball. And I'll tell you uh, why that is. Because they have a guy on their team by the name of Luis Arias who prevented Aaron Judge from winning a triple crown last year. Luis Arias is hitting 397 currently. After last week last weekend, he was batting 383, I believe, and then proceeded to have two five for five games and had 11 hits on the weekend, got his average back up to 400. And now he's batting 397 after he went one for three last night. I promise you, Luis Arias had changed the culture in Miami and is the reason they are tearing it up and 10 games over 500. He is hitting 397. Do you realize that through Miami's first 75 games, he was hitting 398? That is the best average by any player since Tony Fernandez hit 405 in Toronto's first 75 games in 1999 when average actually mattered. In 1941, when Ted Williams became the last player to hit 400 in a season in either league, his batting average through Boston's first 75 games was 398, the exact same as Luis Arias. So he's actually on pace to possibly break, uh, you know, be the first player since Ted Williams to hit 400 in a season. It is unbelievable what this man is doing. He had 11 hits in a weekend. Josh Donaldson doesn't have 11 hits all season. Josh Donaldson has eight hits on the season. He's eight for 63. Six of those hits are home runs. He's hitting 125. It's incomprehensible. He's a big league player. He's been on around for many years. He had almost an MVP-type season not too long ago with the Braves. In fact, he might have won MVP with the Braves. I don't even remember. I mean, it's unbelievable. Gary Sanchez seems to be thriving over in San Diego now. Uh, friggin' Joey Gallo's thriving with Minnesota. Sonny Gray is thriving with Minnesota. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, I, I can't, I don't have words. John Carlos Stan, since he came back off the IL, can't hit. He's just guessing up there. Absolutely guessing. This is a guy that won an MVP. He's been pretty good with the Yankees when he's not hurt. It, it, I, I mean, I, I can't understand what's going on. DJ LeMahieu won a batting title in both leagues. It's never been done before. It's going to happen again this year with Arise. But, I mean, he is lost. He's absolutely lost. He's striking out at the highest rate of any player in baseball. He is falling to one knee as he swings and misses. I mean, DJ LeMahieu, a few years ago in the ALCS against the Houston Astros, uh, before Altuve hit the home run off Chapman with the uh, the buzzer, DJ LeMahieu had the greatest at-bat that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. And I, I'm, I'm kid you not. The Yankees had a man on first, down two runs, against uh, Marcelo, uh, uh, not Marcelo Zuna. Uh, I think it was Ozuna, the closer, whatever his name was, that, that was the closer for the Astros at the time. And they were down to their last strike. And DJ LeMahieu, who's not a big 
power guy by any means, needed to hit a home run to tie the game. And he fouled off pitch after pitch after pitch, and he battled and battled until he eventually hit a ball over the right field wall just by the foul pole, just fair, just over an outstretched glove, and he tied the game. It was the greatest at-bat just because of the situation. And, I, you know, I was a kid during the 90s and the late 90s, 2000s, when the Yankees were winning World Series and different things like that. So, you know, this may be hyperbole with me saying that, but from what I can remember, that was one of, if not the greatest, probably I will go on a limb and say the greatest that I can remember, at-bat I have ever seen in a playoff game, like in that magnitude. And now the guy can't hit at all. He can't hit at all. Anthony Rizzo was raking early in the year. Can't hit. Can't hit. Anthony Volpe has the biggest hitch in his swing I've ever seen. And it's so easy to fix. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? His swing is so long. He steps in the bucket. He steps, he's opening up on everything. He can't hit a fastball up. He can't hit anything down and away. All he can hit is a fastball low. And I see it in softball too with some of our players. You just, there's, you're lost up there. When when you get a pitch on the outer half of the plate, it looks 10 feet outside and you either take it or you swing, you know, you swing under it. And last night, my dad texts me because I wasn't watching the Yankee game. I was getting updates, and I was just, I wasn't turning it on disgusted, right? And I'm paying attention a little bit to the NBA draft. And he texts me, he's like, yeah, because he's in Myrtle Beach right now, so he doesn't watch the games. He was either at a sports bar or somewhere, and he happened to see, he said he thinks that they threw the Yankees 11 straight fastballs, and they couldn't hit it. It's unbelievable. All the Yankees want to do is, all they preach these analytical buffoons, all they care about is hitting home runs. They can't even, you can't win doing that. You can't win doing that. It, it It's ridiculous. Take a guy like Jake Bowers. I want to say, and this happens all the time, this is just an example. There was a game where I think Jake Bowers hit two home runs. Okay, great. He's hot. He's, he's stroking, he's getting it figured out, hits two home runs. The very next game, he's not in the lineup. I, I, I mean, I, this is where analytics lose me. They completely lose me. I use analytics, don't get me wrong, as a coach in softball. I look at the stats. Oh, what did this girl do up against us the first time we played them? What did she do her last at-bat? But a lot of times I don't even need to do that because it's so ingrained in my head because I just know it from watching and, and being so locked in. I know what's going on. If you have a guy that hit two home runs one game and then the very next day he's not in the lineup because analytics say he doesn't hit lefties well or he doesn't his numbers against this guy aren't good, analytics don't take into account if a guy's slumping or if he's red hot. It, it, it's so it's so ridiculous that every team in baseball is solely going based on guys that just crunch numbers. Aaron Boone is a puppet, and then he's going to sit there and talk about DJ LeMahieu and how close he is to, to getting right, right, and Josh Donaldson, oh, and that one at-bat in the seventh inning when he flew out to the warning track, oh, he just, he was so close to turning it around. And now Josh Donaldson, the reason the Yankees got him and are paying him so much was supposed to be all about his, you know, his great glove at third base, and that's everything they keep harping on and preaching. And I watched him make two errors on one play last night. He goes to field a slow roller, not all that slow, and he just 
he goes to he gets it in the glove and he goes to throw it and he just loses it out of his hand. And then there's a play at third in the same breath and he just throws it away at third. I, I just, I'm done. IKF needs to start going to third base. Josh Donaldson, put him back on the IL, fake the injury and just get rid of him. I am sick and tired of hearing excuse after excuse after excuse. Oh, he's close. He, You know, he's really close. Just give it some time. I've given it enough time. You have a payroll of a gazillion dollars, and you're losing out to teams like the Orioles and the freaking Rays who have payrolls of like $40, 50000000 million. I mean, it's it's incredibly, it, it's inc- it's incredulous and head-scratching how bad this franchise has become since George Steinbrenner died. Hal is not his father. And he says, oh, you know, I'll never tank, and it's all about winning. And great, you go to the playoffs every year. Great, you'll go to the playoffs again this year. You'll get Rodon back soon. You got Bader back, right? That's the other thing. Bader was their best, is their best player. He was their best hitter before he got hurt the second time. Then he comes back off the uh, IL. He he got some more reps down in the minors. Comes off the IL, and they have him batting sixth. And, like, they were doing better when Glaber was batting first, right? And I, okay, uh, uh, Judge is gone out of the lineup now, so you have to make an adjustment there. Whatever. But na- but at least be consistent. You're batting a different guy leadoff every day. It was Bowers for a while. Then all of a sudden, maybe it's McKinney. Then all of a sudden, I think yesterday or the day before, now all of a sudden, oh, let's just throw DJ LeMahieu in there to bat leadoff. And he can't hit right now. I just don't understand the philosophy, the hitting coaches. What are we doing? How could it possibly be that everyone in this lineup is so bad at the same time? You can't possibly tell me that all these guys are so bad. Aaron Hicks, cut him. Finally, thank the Lord Jesus. Now he's with the Orioles and he's just raking. And I saw a stat that was shockingly, shockingly bad if you're the Yankees and you see this, everybody should be fired. Aaron Hicks in his he had like 27 hits so far with the Orioles or whatever it was, and that was more than like five players on the Yankees in that time span. It's just incomprehensible. They're averaging like three runs a game. They're averaging like goddamn near like four or five hits a game. You can't win a game. The other night they win a game, four to two, five hits on the game. Three of them were home runs. Oh, and by the way, another injury, Willie Calhoun, a quad. Probably going to miss a month because he said last time that happened, he missed about a month. How do the Yankees keep getting injured this badly? I'm not talking like elbows and and, and Tommy John surgeries. I'm talking about hamstrings and quads and, and shoulder strain. Like what the freak? This organization, it's perplexing. This organization is supposed to be the greatest, the greatest franchise in sports history. And they're losing out to the little sisters of the poor in Baltimore and Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay might as well give out tickets for free. Nobody goes. They've been talking for years about moving, relocating to another city. I'm just, I don't understand. Then I have to turn on the television tonight and watch as the Cincinnati Reds find themselves on an 11-game winning streak. We just smoked this Reds team a month ago and swept them, and they looked like crap. 
but they call up Ellie, Ellie De La Cruz. They got Votto back. Finally, he's healthy. Hits a home run, has like five RBIs in his first game back. And they've won 11 straight games and find themselves now in first place. First place. It's the team's longest winning streak since they won 12 straight in 1957. They joined the 1890 Louisville Colonels as the only franchises in Major League Baseball history with an 11 game, excuse me, an 11 game winning streak a season after losing 100 games and my Yankees are struggling to stay above 500. They're 7 games above right now, holding on to a wild card barely. Uh Cincinnati's best win streak ever was when it won 14 games in a row in 1899. That is a total long shot. I don't see it happening because they are set to play the Braves in a three-game series starting today. The Braves come in having won eight straight. So tonight actually marks just the third time in the last 100 years where teams start a head-to-head series with win streaks of eight-plus games. It's incredible. And then you have the San Francisco Giants who are on their own 10-game winning streak, and my Yankees are unwatchable right now. And I'm sick and tired of hearing it's all about judge. Baseball is a team game above any other. You want to say, okay, soccer with like a guy like Messi, Ronaldo, things like that. You want to say even basketball, a guy like Kevin Durant, right? Luca, some of these guys, Giannis, they're game changers, right? But baseball, there's nine players on a field. There's eight other players to pick up the slack. You have MVP, John uh, Carlos Stan. You have a World Series champion in Anthony Rizzo. I, I mean, you you have Garrett Cole has done done his job, right? But these other hitters, what the freak? DJ LeMay is a batting champion. I, I mean, it's unbelievable. Their philosophy, it's not working. And I don't care if you want to tell me it's the same philosophy as every other team. Well, then teach your hitters how to freaking hit because I could watch every single one of them and tell you everything that each one's doing wrong. This guy's stepping in the bucket. This guy is just not swinging at strikes. And most of them, they take pitches right down the freaking pipe and then they swing at junk low and away. The sliders in the dirt, the the, the sweepers, the, the change-ups. Uh, it's disgusting what I'm watching. Disgusting. And it's because these guys are guessing. They are up at the plate guessing. Get back to fundamentals. Get back to basics. I'm done with it. I'm done. I say fire everybody. And if I own the Yankees, I would have fired the entire analytics department. And I'd have used that money that I'm saving. And I'd have gone and I'd hire me actual coaches that know the goddamn game Aaron Boone is a third-generational baseball player, major league baseball player. Grandfather, father, brother, and himself played in the major leagues. I know this man knows baseball, but he is a freaking puppet. All he does is spew garbage. I don't want to hear garbage spew. I don't want to hear, oh, well, you know, he, he's the he's like the epitome. He, he's the exactly what's wrong with today's society in general, you know. He's he's all he's like part of the of the uh, like participation trophy culture. It's like oh well he he didn't get a hit today, but he's really close. He's really tomorrow tomorrow's another day. I, I believe in him. I think he'll do it. He it's just an analytical puppet up there. Get back to actually coaching. And they say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm actually you know calling the shots and I I'm setting the lineups. And Buck Showalter is one of the smartest coaches in baseball 
And even he's, he, he goes out of his way to say, we make the lineups. We this, we that. And he let it slip that he ain't making the lineups. These freaking suits are making the lineups. It's just a joke. It's a joke. God, I ranted for long enough, and I apologize, but I think we're almost done. Um, okay, in other news, UConn's Dan Hurley agrees to a new six-year deal worth nearly $33 million guaranteed. Hurley's new contract keeps him with the Huskies through the 2028-29 season. The contract also includes incentives for athletic and academic success that could push the deal's value even higher. It's crazy because it wasn't all that long ago that Hurley was coaching at Wagner and then, you know, Rhode Island. He was actually at Rhode Island the same time my sister was playing softball there, and she actually, I believe, ran into him once or twice in, like, the trainer's room before. Um, And just crazy. And now he won a national championship with UConn, and he's going to be there for a long time, a very long time. Um, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred, no shocker here, uh, I made no bones about this. I am not a fan of his. I hate Rob Manfred. think he's a terrible commissioner. Um, he's being sued by 17 former scouts who are claiming in large that they were pushed out of baseball and fired due to age discrimination. So a lot of these scouts during the COVID-shortened season kind of got the boot. And these are serious allegations, but that's the big one, age discrimination. I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. These guys don't care about analytics, and they're saying, I've been, I've been traveling all down the eastern seaboard. I've been through every city of Texas. Some of, these, some of these towns have two stoplights, and I know talent when I see it. Oh, but Bob, I'm sorry. I crunched the numbers that, that Harvard taught me, you know, how to crunch, and this kid, you know, he's not going to get it done. His spin rates aren't high enough. You know, he only has three pitches. He he doesn't have a fourth pitch. He's going to have to learn this new sweeper, and I just don't think he's a talented player. It's, it's, it's absolutely asinine. So I hope they win this lawsuit. Screw baseball. More of what's wrong with baseball. Um, speaking, uh, sticking on, on the track of Rob Manfred, God, is he a terrible commissioner? And I think this alone should get him fired. You know what he said earlier this week in an interview? In hindsight, um, I probably shouldn't have given the Astros players immunity back for the sign-stealing scandal, back during all that whole thing. Probably should have just let it play out and see what, you know, somebody would have told told the, the, the truth. Oh, you don't say. You don't say, Robbie. You don't say you shouldn't have given them all freaking immunity. This freaking guy. And then this is what's really wrong with baseball. A pitcher with the second worst ERA in baseball, damn near seven, 6.75 ERA on Sunday afternoon. Came out and tallied a franchise record 16 strikeouts. The pitcher, Lance freaking Lynn. The team he struck out 16 batters, the Mariners. Best part is, gave up three runs and he lost the game 5-1. to one. Came into the game with a 6.75. First of all, how do the Mariners strike out 16 times against a guy with a 6.75 ERA? And how does a guy who strikes out 16 batters give up three runs? It's unbelievable, the state of baseball right now. It is unbelievable what's going on. 
and they're going to say, oh, the new rules, the games are shorter, we're getting more viewership, and blah, blah, blah. You ain't getting me to view it because it's crap. It is crap. The Yankees guarantee you, since Judge went down with injury, and they have been horrible, I think like 4-8 and eight or 5-9, and nine, whatever it's been since he went down, guarantee viewership went, th- went just tanked. And it's not solely based on Aaron Judge. It's because the team is horrible. They can't hit. I look up yesterday. I'm like, I, I don't even see the score. I'm just getting updates, and I know they're losing, and they haven't scored every update about the other team scoring. And when I finally decide to look, I open my Yahoo Sports app to check the box score, and I'm like, I bet you the Yankees don't even have a hit. And guess what? It was the third inning. They didn't have a hit. They didn't tally their first hit till the sixth inning. It got so bad. It was 10 nothing. They're making le- errors left and right. It got so bad that Isaiah Kiner-Falefa came in to pitch, pitched an inning, and then hit a home run in the ninth inning. Doing stuff that guy we haven't seen since, like, freaking Babe Ruth. I mean, Nick Swisher did it, but, I mean, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's absolutely freaking ridiculous. Okay, congrats to Wyndham Clark on his U.S. Open win. Quite shocking, actually. But, um, yeah, Wyndham Clark won the U.S. Open. Not many people know who Wyndham Clark is, but here it is, the final putt that sealed the victory. takes down all the stars in Los Angeles to win the United States Open. Okay, yeah, so he gets emotional there. Um, Wyndham Clark, if you don't know, this is a guy, crazy. He was, uh, I believe, Pac-12 Player of the Year. He actually, it was a cool story. Him and Ricky, because um, Ricky was leading this thing from the jump, man, and I'm so sad to say that he he just choked it away on Sunday. But Ricky Fowler um, was playing a round of golf with his caddy, and he liked the putter his caddy was using. It's like, oh, that's interesting. So we had Odyssey try to, like, make him a replica and then one time he's playing with Wyndham Clark and Wyndham Clark sees the, sees the putter and he he's like, I need one of those. So they had the exact same replica putter with the lead tape on the bottom, 25 grams, I believe it was, um, and everything. And it's just a tall, a long, thick as hell, super stroke putter uh, grip. And it, 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 I mean, I'm not going to lie. It looks, it looks dope, but the putter has been like sold out all over the place. You can't find it. Um, and this guy, like, almost quit golf, didn't think he had an, had it in him to win. And he's been a top 12 golfer for a while now, and probably nobody knew that. I don't think, I believe I read that he hasn't missed a cut since October. And by winning the U.S. Open now, he is um, on pace to, and he won the Wells Fargo, I believe, not too long ago either. He's going to make the Ryder Cup team now, and, and 
probably he's looking to see if he can keep it going. Now, we've got the Travelers going on now, um, which has just been unbelievable, some of the scores they're shooting. And viewership for the U.S. Open, by the way, at LACC was up by millions. And that's not because Tiger Woods played, because he didn't. But I think it was because it was on the West Coast, and it was really cool, because even though it was over Father's Day weekend, people are busy and doing stuff early in the afternoon, especially on the East Coast. But by by... By the evening time, they're free. They want to watch TV and stuff and hang around the, the TV. And this thing was going to like 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. So it was awesome. Um, Right now in the Travelers, by the way, you have Denny McCarthy and Keegan Bradley tied at 15 under par. Keegan Bradley was like even for a while, I saw. And he went a bonkers 7 under par today. Um, This McCarthy guy shot a 60 yesterday. It's unbelievable what's, what they're doing at this course because it's far different than LACC. So Denny McCarthy's 36-hole total of 125 tied for the lowest opening 36-hole score on tour over the past five years. Russell Henley at the 2022 Sony Open had a 125 as well. In the history of the PGA Tour, 125 is tied for the fifth lowest opening 36-hole score all time. Um, it, it's just unbelievable. The scores that these guys are are are, are getting on this course is, is unbelievable. Um, okay, so I think we're at the end. Oh, uh, John Morant, excuse me, John Morant, on Friday was suspended 25 games for his antics, the IG live, the gun, all that stuff. It could also be extended if he does not meet certain conditions. Um, but that's a big deal a little bit because that 25 games, that's 30% of the schedule, which takes him away from being able to make all NBA consideration, which could affect his future, um, contract negotiations. And, um, Let's not forget what happened to Bob Huggins over the weekend. Bob Huggins has not had a good about five weeks or so. So a longtime college basketball coach has been mired in controversy of late. So about five weeks ago, he was on a radio show, and in referencing a story, referred to Notre Dame fans using an anti-gay slur. We all heard it by now. I will not repeat it. He was suspended three games and fined a million dollars for that. If that wasn't enough, on Friday night, he was arrested for a DUI, I believe in Pittsburgh, and he thought he was in uh, Ohio or, or something. And he had beer cans all over the place. His blood alcohol was like more than double. Um, so on Saturday, not surprisingly, he resigned. And it is probably for the best. Huggins was one of the few old school you know, coaches left, in my opinion. And it seemed as though what his West Virginia teams were just, I don't know, stuck in neutral, not really going anywhere or getting any better. And I don't really think the NIL or transfer stuff like portal has helped him because he's not a guy that wants to beg players to come to his school or have to, you know, say, Oh, come to my school. We'll give you this amount of NIL money or this or that. So it's just, yeah. So he's out. Um, okay. What do we got this weekend? More of the travelers. Of course, um, you've got, the MLB London series between the Chicago Cubs and St. Louis Cardinals. That starts um, at 1.10 on Fox tomorrow. Um, and then Sunday's game will be at 10 a.m. Eastern time. 10.10 a.m. Eastern time. Games will be at London Stadium. We've already got the announcement that the Mets and Phillies will play that series next year. This was a boring series when it was announced, but now you've got the Chicago Cubs. They're just two games back in the, in the, um, in the division. And 
in terms of the playoffs, they are five games back of a wild card, so they're right there in the mix. They have Marcus Stroman, who's the National League leader in ERA right now. Kyle Hendricks has been unbelievable. Um, Their starting rotation has just been has been great. Um, they've got the young lefty, I believe it is, um, who's just been who's just been um, a stud for them. Justin Steele, who himself is, you know, just been unbelievable. I think he's got like a two point seven one ERA. I think he's second or third behind Stroman in the NL in ERA. It's just what they're doing is has been a good story for a team that's supposed to be rebuilding. So I've got Stroman, and I picked up Hendricks for my fantasy team. I'm trying to get out of the basement. I'm in last right now, but I'm playing the 11th place team. I'm winning 9-1. to one. Hopefully win this. I'll jump back into the mix of it because no one's really running away with it. Um, so you've got the London series. You've also got um, the College World Series final, of course, you know, LSU and Florida tomorrow night at 7, then Sunday at 3. Again, uh, it could be decided if nobody – if somebody sweeps the first two games. If not, we'll get a Monday game, um, which would be at 7 p.m. on ESPN as well. You've got the USFL playoffs, if anybody cares about that, Saturday. You've got Michigan at Pittsburgh at 8 p.m. on NBC, and then Sunday, New Orleans at Birmingham on Fox at 7 p.m. Hope I'm not forgetting anything. I don't think I am. We will finish this thing up with On This Date in Sports, and guess what it was? Seven years ago today, the U.S. men's national team, and we are about a month away from the Women's World Cup, by the way. U.S. women are favored at a little over plus 300, I think, or plus 250. Um, No, I think plus 225. Either way, I'm probably going to hammer the crap out of that. Anyway, on this date, seven years ago, the U.S. men's national team, led by Landon Donovan, needed to win to move on to the knockout stages and it was in stoppage time and my boy Tim Howard by the way went to the same high school as Tim Howard he saves the uh, a shot on goal he throws it out to the wing they just go down deflection goal uh, and I think this was against Algeria and the U.S. wins in stoppage time and moves on to the knockout stages I was so locked in it was 2010 I think that was like the summer when I had um just graduated high school. I was loving it and um, going bonkers. And then we lost to Ghana in the knockout stage. But this was electric, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Take a listen. Laura, who plays it deep, Saifi, with a header. Howard gratefully claims it. Distribution, brilliant. Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again. But Donovan has scored. Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA. Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. Well, here's the ball here. It comes out here to Landon Donovan, who strikes again. What a golden goal for the USA. If you're just joining us, there it is. The moment deep, deep into the match to give the USA surely a place in the last 16. It is breathtakingly exciting. 
And I believe, um, so yeah, I'm getting chills just watching that and hearing it. But I believe in 2014, that was when they snubbed Landon Donovan and he was cut from the World Cup team, which was just disgraceful in my opinion. And um, we didn't do anything there. But uh, yeah, so that's all I've got for you guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm losing my voice a little bit here. Got to get something to drink, but that'll just about wrap it up just over the hour mark. I'm satisfied with that. Glad we could get back to this episode. Um, I got to go, you know, edit this, post it, get some dinner and get ready for the rest of my night. I will be watching episode. What is, are we on episode eight or episode nine of silo? It is getting so good. Um, that I, I just cannot wait. Uh, I'm reading the book in conjunction with the show as well. If you haven't seen it on Apple TV Plus yet, please go watch it. Um, the, the Kevin Durant show, I think, is back this weekend too, the one on Apple TV about him growing up and playing basketball as well. Um, that that one is called Swagger. Um, yeah, Swagger. I watched, I believe I watched the entire first season. Um, and then The Bear, that's another really, really good one. But I don't know if I'm going to have much time to watch TV like shows or movies or anything this weekend with all the sports stuff going on, but I'll be stuck inside with the weather. So I'm going to try to do it anyway, guys. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the sports. Enjoy life. Enjoy it. I am the Pody. You have been listening to episode 210 of this week in sports. I'll catch everybody next week. Hopefully. Hopefully. All right, Pody signing off. Deuces.